the RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. See the new Irish men and women's rugby jerseys at canterbury.com. And you are very welcome along to this week's RTE Rugby Podcast. Neil Tracy here with you, as is Fiona Hayes and Eddie O'Sullivan, as they were last week as well. And we're recapping Semi United Rugby Championship quarterfinals. We've got semifinals coming up in the next few days. Leinster hosting the Bulls this Friday evening, 7.35 kickoff at the RDS. While in the other semi-final, Ulster back down in South Africa. They're in Cape Town where they're going to be taking on the Stormers. That is a two o'clock kickoff Irish time on Saturday afternoon. And that game is going to be live on RT2 and the RT player as well. We'll also touch on Munster whose season is over uh, in very disappointing circumstances. They were completely second best against Ulster last week in the quarterfinals. So we'll touch on that as well in the company of Fiona and Eddie. But we'll start with probably recapping the quarterfinals of last weekend and we'll begin folks with Leinster 76 Glasgow Warriors 14 I was at that game on Saturday afternoon and and Eddie (laughs) from a Leinster point of view I mean I'm sure given the the stressful week and the disappointing week they would have had previously yeah I'm sure running in 12 tries against the Glasgow team as bad as that might have been good just for a little bit of confidence but I can't imagine it was it was good for much more than that. It was bad all around, I thought. Um, it was bad for the tournament. It was bad for Scottish rugby. And it was bad for Leinster. Leinster need tough games. And you would have thought, you know, I don't think anyone thought Leinster were going to lose on, on the weekend to, to Glasgow. But you thought Glasgow would have shut up and put up some sort of a battle. Particularly when they got a good start. They were the first to score, you know. I think, God, oh, they're bedded in here. They're going to go for it. And they just imploded. And... Um, I suppose six tries and the two yellow cards tells its own story. But apart from that, even it was just a very um, unprofessional performance, really. It's a terrible thing to say, but it was unprofessional. The, the, the tackling, the defence, it was just shocking. And it was, it was no good for anybody. I mean, yeah, Leinster won handsomely. They, it was like a training run. They got a better hit out against the Leinster A team. 100%. It, like, game, you know. it probably you said there was like a training session. It probably wasn't as it probably wasn't as valuable as a training session. They would probably no, get more out of playing against each other. You'd get hit harder by guys in your own squad, you know, those in those hitouts, you know. But uh, yeah, it's just it's a bad advertisement for a tournament. Um, but I, you know, there's not what much more can you say about it. No value to anybody. No value to anybody, and just abysmal really to watch. Like this, it doesn't do anybody any good. So I, I can't say any more than that. It's best forgotten about at this stage. Yeah, and Fiona, like on that, Eddie kind of hinted as well. Leinster, like they, they didn't start off great. Glasgow actually started the game quite well. They played some good territory in the opening few minutes. They obviously learned from La Rochelle that if you get penalties, if you want to beat Leinster, you need to score tries because they turned down some shots at goal, went to to score tries. They got their score from Xander Fagerson inside a few minutes. So you were thinking initially, do you know what? There's there's a bit of a game coming up uh, coming on here. This could actually be all right because we were about 10, 15 minutes in. Leinster were seven points down. They were making a lot of mistakes as well. So there was the touch of there might be a little bit of a European hangover, just as Ulster had, just as Munster had. I remember Ross Byrne overcooked a, a mm. grubber kick through, put it way out over the over the Ingle area. Kieran Frawley misjudged a couple of passes. Things just weren't working out from the giveaway, a scrum penalty. So you were actually thinking we might have a decent game in our hands here. And then it all just kind of turned on Richie Gray diving in and throwing what looked like a fairly reckless, like the, the arm certainly cocked out and caught Jameson Gibson Park with that. He gets a yellow card and like Leinster don't need two invitations for these kind of things. He walks back onto the pitch 10 minutes later 
and his side are 21-7 down and from there it was game over really like it, the game lasted 20 minutes yeah, it was exactly that. It was after that yellow card. It just, it was almost like, to be fair, it was like Leinster woke up, you know, the the slick passing and the backline moves weren't going to hand and that overcooked kick. And even they were in a little bit of pressure in scrum time as well um, and a couple of scrums, which I thought they might have been, um, worked really hard on during the week to sort out. Now they did as the game went on, but it was it was a funny sort, uh, sort of start to the game. You really felt like uh, it was going to be, oh, look, this Glasgow team are really up for it, even after Ferguson's Try, he was roaring and shouting, and you just felt there was a lot of aggression, and they were really going in there. And they didn't give Leinster the ball, they were trying to hold on to it. But it just after that grey yellow card imploded. And fair play to Leinster, they they spotted the gaps, you know, they they got the ball wide, they really kind of attacked the Glasgow um line. And Glasgow, as Eddie said, the tackling was quite poor, their defensive systems, it didn't even look like they had a defensive system, they were getting caught in back three as well. So it was just it was a, a strange old game and um, fair play to Leinster you have to say hats off they came out and some of the try scores were absolutely brilliant but what they will get going into this game against the Bulls is another thing because we know exactly how physical they are after their game with the Sharks so it it it, it, it really didn't serve them that well after the first 20-20 minutes and, and Eddie like from a from your own point of view as as someone who's been involved in coaching a long time has coached a lot of you know high profile teams uh how would you feel if you were if you were Danny Wilson, who who witnessed basically his team just giving up for the guts of an hour, and ultimately two days later he gets the sack off the back of it? Now I know there was two years worth of probably frustrations and stuff, which culminated in the game uh, at the weekend. But but ultimately, a manager lost his job off the back of it. Yeah, it's another another uh, coaching roadkill. You know, um, he was gone within within forty eight hours. It's tough, but uh, I suppose. Um, when you see a capitulation like that by a group of players, you got to wonder what's going on behind the scenes, you know? Um, I mean, it's one thing to lose a game, but it's how you lose the game is actually important. And, and they capitulated, you know, from, from the... By the end of the first quarter, the game was over. So there'd be a lot of questions around how, as a head coach, you were in charge of a group of guys who just threw in the towel so easily. So I think there's a bigger story there. I, I don't know. I don't follow Glasgow rugby that closely. Um, you know, but I'm sure that there's been some. I saw mentions it on on social media. That there's been on, there's been unrest there for a while, mm-hmm. you know. But having said that, you know they still got to the playoffs. You know, I know what they did when they got there was was abysmal. But the fact that they actually got into the playoffs, you think, well, you know, to get to the playoffs any season is a reasonable achievement. And the Scottish teams haven't been setting the world on fire, so you know, you think two Scottish teams in the playoffs, you know, things are actually doing along okay. But yeah, there must be a fair bit of uh, fair bit of problems under the hood there, and I suppose it always comes back to the head coach. That's the way it goes. Um, and uh, I, I, you could see the guy, and I felt from understanding the last twenty minutes when it was obvious this was going to be the shellacking of all shellackings, you know. And you could see his body language. And Nigel Carlin was sitting there as well, you know, who's done a really good job with their attack. And all that goes down in flames when you you decide you're not going to play when you don't have the ball. Uh, so yeah, it's look. It's a bad advert for the tournament, um, you know. And I thought the best game of the weekend was the two South African teams going toe to toe. It wasn't perfect rugby, but there was a lot of intensity. There was a no quarter extra given, and it was won like in in the eighty second minute with a drop goal, probably by the team the Bulls who didn't deserve to win. You know, at the end of it, I thought that they 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 were lucky to get out of it, but that's kind of knockout rugby. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think as I said, look. 
I know we're trying to talk about suspension games, but let's say the better about it. It's, it's of no value to anybody, you know. I mean, Leinster yeah. won't be happy. They, they, they know that, you know, they're going to, life's going to be very different next, next weekend, that's for sure. Yeah, let's move it on to the Bulls then, because uh, it was funny actually as well in the in the press conference afterwards, Leo Cullen, I don't know, was it a slip of the tongue or or what was it? But he actually, he, he referenced the fact that during last week, prior to the Glasgow game, they were already doing work on, on the Bulls. He kind of mentioned both the Bulls and the Sharks. Obviously, they, they, you know, they knew they were going to be playing one or the other. And he said, well, we played the Sharks recently enough, so we know a lot about them. So we did a lot of, did a lot of work on the Bulls this week, yeah. which, was, which was interesting. It's not often a, a coach kind of lets that slip. So I imagine maybe it was, it was inadvertently a, a slip of the tongue. Well, you, you do that kind of work. You yeah. do, yeah. you know, it's a smart thing to do. They're ahead of the curve and they always have been. We're not, we're not, uh, fool, yeah, we're not fools when we believe a, a head coach. Yeah, well, we're only you tend not to tell everybody about yeah. it. Yeah, you tend not to you tend not to flag it, but uh, yeah, they would they 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 wouldn't know who to expect, but now they know it's the Bulls. But um, the Bulls are—I think they'll beat the Bulls. I don't see the I don't see Leinster losing to the Bulls, but I think there's things they need to be careful about against the Bulls. Um, there's certainly going to be physicality that we know that, but that's a given. But it's where the physicality will come, and I think if you look at Leinster, it's probably something we don't talk about very often, but they. They can be bullied a bit physically in certain areas. Um, you know, like they do concede tries if you get close in. And um, the Bulls caused lots of problems as we began by taking one-off runners into the channels two and three outside the rock. Very aggressive runners into that space and looking to get the offload in that area. And they got some very good dividends on that. So they'll come after Leinster there. Um, Le- Leinster tends at times not to be very physical in the contact, but trust their system to eventually get them to turn over. And they have some really good guys in the ruck. Van der Flair gets over it. Doris gets over it. You know, they're all good to go over the ball. So they, they, they tend to be prepared to make a lot of tackles, give up some ground. But um, the problem for them with the Bulls, if they give up the Bulls some yardage on the collisions, the Bulls will only be empowered by that and emboldened by it. And it could make life difficult for them. I'm sure they're looking at that. Um, but we don't talk about that much because Leinster tend to win anyway. You know, they might give up a few, two or three tries, but they probably score five or six. So it doesn't get discussed in, in, in the road of talking what they did. But if I if I was looking at the Bulls, I would be thinking these guys are going to come down those channels very aggressively. And if we're soft in those channels and they get, you know, one second rocks or offloads in those channels, and they do flood them with big ball carriers and they do look to get their hands free. Now, if you give up kind of 5, 10, 15 metres in those channels, you're going to be on the back foot, you're not going off the line, and then the problems will start for Leinster. Now, I'm sure Leo uh, will know that, and, and Lancaster know that, and they, they'll be working on it, but I, I, that's what I saw last week, and it would say to me, this is where the Bulls would have to be shut down. If you shut them down in those channels, if you really bone up and attack and make them those two, three-second rocks a little longer, they'll find it hard to launch and Leinster will be comfortable enough on D. I think that'll be my take on it. And and Fiona, like it's whether or not the Bulls actually beat Leinster this weekend or, or how close they run them, it is just going to be a good, interesting marker to see the progress the South African teams have made because it was the Bulls in Dublin in round one of the competition, and we kind of talked them up specifically. I think out of all the out of all four South African teams prior to the competition as being the the ones who could really challenge and. When they came to Ireland for those first couple of rounds, they never really landed a shot on Leinster. I was at the sports ground the following week where they were terrible, genuinely yeah. terrible against Connacht. 
But obviously, as the season has gone on, they and the Sharks and the, the Stormers specifically, maybe less so the, the Lions, have improved dramatically. And I think what's interesting with the Bulls case is rather than the Sharks, where they got a lot of Springboks spring box back mm-hmm. into their team and you know just the actual personnel looks a lot different, the Bulls have actually just kind of progressed and got better without actually changing too much of the team. If, if you look at the side that played against the Sharks at the weekend for the Bulls, it was 11 of the 15 that started round one against Leinster when they when they hardly landed a shot. So this is just going to be a good marker, regardless of what way the result goes, of, of how far a team like the Bulls have come over the course of a season. Yeah, and that's one thing that stuck out, Neil, when I was looking at the team. I thought uh, maybe it had completely changed, you know, coming into the, the game when I was going back over my notes on that. But actually, it was mad. I think it was obviously the 10. There was a couple of key positions. The 10 was different. The hooker was different. And um, Arna Boat, I think, was playing at eight at the time. But they just are, uh, you're talking about the Leinster game, that kind of game. I couldn't get over how bad they were as well. It was, you know, I really expected much more. But they all looked, the South African teams at the start, they all looked a bit tired to me when they came over it was almost like they were shell-shocked they were juiced they were on the road for a long time so I don't think we saw the best of them it was when they got back to South Africa and they started building we really saw them progress so it's going to be a, a completely different game I think obviously it's on in Dublin so Leinster have huge home advantage but but I'm looking forward to the, the battle up front and Eddie spot on you know Sharks played better rugby in that game but you see what the Bulls can offer they're, they're, if, Len, if Leinster's internal defence isn't solid and tight you they can cause awful damage I mean you've got Bota he's a big man Kotsia um, Steen Camp in the front row is another guy who's been really really good and and their hooker Grobler got on the the URC team of the season as well so they have big ball carriers and they're really really good but they've been steadily building and it's exactly that there hasn't been any disruption this pack has been playing together this backline have been playing together and they're definitely getting better and better as it goes on I don't think they have enough to to really damage Leinster um, maybe over in South Africa would have been a, a different story I think this Leinster team but they will have to really look at those areas of that internal defence and, and the scrum as well as is an area where Leinster we've seen throughout the season have kind of had difficulties and this Bulls uh, front row are quite quite good in that area Eddie would, would it be oversimplifying it to say if Leinster can get parity in those collisions as you were saying just the, the sheer physicality if they can level them on that is that essentially are they one up already yeah I think that's a key area when they don't have the ball and when they have the ball like the Bulls mall defence was, was woeful last weekend as well you know I mean I'm sure Leinster will be torn with whoever Leinster don't maul a lot or they don't you know they tend to move the ball more than maul it there might be dividends in actually mauling the Bulls you know but surprisingly for such a big side their mall defence last week was poor so it might be a poor to call for Leinster early doors particularly in their own half to maul the ball and say they can milk penalties or some good go forward or it. Um, some Leinster might rein things in a little bit to see how things are. Uh, but I think, yeah, I, I think if Leinster, you know, if Leinster get into their rhythm, um, and we see when they, we see last week, you know, when they were like like a training run, but when they hit a rhythm where they're getting the, the, the one and a half, two second rocks, the pods are shown up with all options, tip on passes out the back, and they create that rhythm in their game. Um, there's almost an inevitability about the fact they're going to break you and score. You know, when you see a team like Munster, you don't see that until they get 10 yards from your goal line. So Leinster had this capacity to do that here from 50, 60 metres out. And even, you know, we've seen that all season. It's not just last weekend. So what the Bulls need to do is take Leinster out of their rhythm. And if you can do that, we saw Lara Shell do it. 
that was a, that was the difference on the day. We, we like Glencer nearly won against our shell effect they didn't play they didn't play well, which is very frustrating from but you can break that that tempo that Leinster like to play in. And you saw when they get into that tempo, everyone's comfortable on the ball, everybody's going to the line, and everyone has got two or three options with the ball. And that, that's almost impossible to defend for a sustained period of more than, you know, you go six, seven, eight rocks, and then somebody makes a line break or you give away a penalty, you know. So that's the key for the Bulls is can they take Leinster over that cage that they, they play so well in? And that's what you have to do. And it's easier said than done because Leinster have many strings to their bow. Um, but I, I, that's my point. I don't see the Bulls being able to do that, really. Mm. Uh, and if Leinster shut them down in those key areas of, of, of not let their hands free. Um, and again, we saw like the Bulls' first try last weekend was an intercept pass in the round 22, but they finished it from 90 metres. And the South African teams, you've seen that, but all the South African teams, they have so much gas out wide that if they get a half chance on the outside channels, like all their wingers are, are, are finishers. They've all got tons of gas. And, you know, they, they kick and chase a lot because they back themselves. And if they put the ball over your head, they're going to win the race in the backfield. So things like that as well, you know, uh, are, are there. So they can pluck a try out of nothing if, if they get that kind of space in the outside. So, you know, there's a few things there that the Bulls could kind of, kind of hang their hat on. But, I you know, I think Leinster are too organized and too prepared. I can't see a Leinster letting that happen. To them. So you'd have to think they, they, they should get it done. And with that as well, I think Larmer, if certain, will do awful damage to that back line as well. I, was, I mean, I was, out just, wide I was just about to mention him, Fiona. Go yeah. ahead. No, <laughs> out wide, they're just like um, the, the bull team. Their internal defense is really good, but I have seen that you can they can be really picked off out wide. And if the kicking game is good, you can get in behind them as well. But we saw Larmer; his confidence is building and building, and he's just been an exceptional player in the last couple of games. You'd have to sit back and wonder what he could have brought maybe off the bench against that La Rochelle team. But look, that's that's that. But he's really kind of grabbed his chance. He's he wants to obviously go to to New Zealand in the summer and. And he's he's one of the he's playing outstanding rugby at the minute. The meters he's made, his footwork, everything. He's just electric, and he's he's really really exciting to watch. And it's it's great to be talking about him back in the mix again. Yeah, Eddie, it 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 with Larmer, it's almost as if maybe about I know he had injury problems and stuff this year, but it's like he woke up maybe four weeks ago and remembered who he was and remembered what he had and the skill set he had because he returned against Munster a few weeks ago and. He was just stepping everyone. Every time he got the ball, he was looking to beat a man. He wasn't really thinking about the, the overall plan. It was just like, you know, it was almost like the schoolyard rugby sort of stuff. And obviously was unlucky not to be involved against La Rochelle. Maybe there's a bit of Monday morning quarterbacking us if we're talking about what he could have added there. But then at the weekend, just gone. I know we've mentioned how poor the Glasgow defence was, but he just looked like someone who was just loving, loving life every single time he touched the ball. Well, you know, wingers basically play on confidence, mm. you know. Um, if your confidence is down as a winger, you're never going to be at your peak, uh, you know, because it's all about when you get the ball, what are you going to do with it? Because wingers tend to get the ball with a view to actually making a line break or creating has to back, you know, problems for the for the defence. It's always going to try to say that, but that's, that's their whole mindset. Whereas other players in the field, you know, like are looking at maybe making, if you're a back, it's all about making a play, putting somebody into the space, if you're a centre, if you're not half, if you're a forward, you're about getting over the game line. But wingers are all about, you know, creating that line break. And we, Larimer has had that ability all his life, but he's been unfortunate with injuries too. I mean, he had a bad, I think, hamstring injury this year. Um, 
but he's definitely found his mojo again. You know, there's no doubt about it. And I think it's great. Now, that probably been off, off for so long. You know, you do a lot of soul searching. When you get back, what am I going to do? And also, you know, you feel your body is fit again. You can go for it. And I think he's kind of embraced his old self, like even though he's very young. But we remember him when he was all teenager. He was just lighting it up. So he's found that that again now. And I think that's like that down to his he's very fit, he's confident in his fitness, and he's confident in himself. And then look, he got up to space last weekend, and that's what happens if you give Larry more. I mean, I always felt he could beat you in a phone booth, his feet are so good. But he didn't, he he was he was just chopping them to pieces. I, I was look, I'm not playing on the matter quarterback, I just felt that he probably had played his way into the to the final yeah. in, in, in La Rochelle because he, he has the X factor, you know, what you want in the outside channels. Um, but anyway, look, that's as Fiona said, that's water under the bridge. But definitely, um, if he gets space in the weekend, he will cause problems. Now, again, if you're Jake White, you're saying this is the one guy you don't give space to, you know. So you, you've got to believe that, you know, the things that were easy for you last week aren't going to be as easy for you next week unless the other team are asleep at the wheel. So you've got to think that the Bulls will bone up on their mall defence. They won't allow so much space in the outside channels. And they'll try and come up with something to knock Lance throw their cadence. If they don't, it's going to be a long day at the office. But having said that, like, it's, it's a knockout game. So the Bulls will say, like, oh, we get in here for 80 minutes and upset the apple cart. Uh, would be a great victory for them if they can upset the apple cart in, in Dublin, you know? Mm-hmm. So that game is 7.35 Friday evening. The second semi-final is a two o'clock kickoff Irish time. Uh, it's in Cape Town Stormers against Ulster, live on RT2 and RT Player this Saturday afternoon. And it's funny, Fiona, the way things worked out when Ulster were down in South Africa last time and they had that that try late on against the Stormers, which was incorrectly disallowed, yeah. which was you know later confirmed by the Tapa Henning, the, the URC referees chief. I know it's it's all ifs and buts, but you know, if if that try had had stood. The very likely scenario is that Ulster are at home this oh. Saturday afternoon against the Stormers in a semi-final. I know, and, and and that's it. It was it was a crazy decision at the time, but you remember they just had to to move on, get on with it. But look, this Ulster team are are on the back of a very confident win against uh, Munster, be it a poor Munster performance, but some of the some of the tries scored by Ulster were exceptional. I will say I really enjoyed the Edinburgh Stormers game um, over the weekend. The, that Stormers backline are just really really electric to watch, and I'm excited about this one. I think it's probably going to be the game of the weekend for me um you know i'm a big fan of uh of uh warren gatlin what's his name gallant uh, sorry gallant warren gallant and um herschel yankees is another guy who just absolutely speeds up the game they they've just got their electric on the wings as well you've got sanatla and zas who's who's also made the urc team of the season so it's um it's really you know we talk about south africa teams a lot of the time you're talking about the damage being done up front but this stormers team in particular i think their back line is absolutely electric and they really like to use it they don't overplay it in the forwards they get the ball out and um, I think it's they will definitely cause trouble to this Ulster team and especially over in South Africa. So this is going to be a tight one, I think. It's rarely a dull game when the Stormers are playing this season, Eddie, is it? No, they're very exciting that they play a kind of a run-and-gun game. Um, but from, from Ulster's point of view, yeah, it's 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 pretty tragic that a bad refereeing call, a little do we know at the time, would cost them a home, a home game, you know. Um, I think that they're... For Ulster, it's all about can they deliver again this week like they delivered last week. You know, it, it, we've been playing this tune now for ages about Ulster. 
their inconsistency. They can be consistent within an 80-minute game. Like we've seen a number of times uh, up in Kingspan where they've been, you know, cruising at 60 minutes and then with five minutes on the clock, they're hanging on to a three or four-point lead. You know, they tend to go through these patches and games. And even from game to game, look, we saw this year, they came to the RDS after Christmas and they beat Leinster. Mm-hmm. You know, really good performance, very well put together, very solid. Like Leinster was shocked at how comfortable Ulster were beating them. And then Ulster arriving in Aviva a couple of weeks later, having, you know, you know, kind of giving up the home the home venue to go to the Aviva and kind of wiped them out. You know, and you're saying, well, what happened between, you know, the RDS, the Aviva? It's not that far to travel, you know? And uh, the... They did the same then. They beat, they beat Toulouse, then they lost to Toulouse at home, then they lose to Munster. You know, so which Munster, which Ulster team are going to show up uh, in South Africa? No, I, I believe it was just show up and play as they can. Like, And we've seen what I thought was really fantastic last weekend is, and I love this type of rugby. It kind of, it sits well in my head is that they looked at, they looked at Munster and they saw that Munster had improved their defence like from the time when Munster were torn apart by Leinster and by Exeter. And they, they changed. They went to a pure drift defence. And Farrell was much more comfortable in the outside channels. And they then thought Munster were comfortable. But then also came up with this plan where they attacked the channel between the Delande and, and Farrell. And they did it brilliantly. You know, they shortened the line out. They ran dummy runners off the two forwards. Uh, if there's a seven or five men or a dummy runner off, off one forward, they sat the land day down and they made all sorts of problems in that channel. And the first try came, the Balakoon break was the land they got caught looking in. And he got caught looking in and, and Hume got around the corner with Balakoon and it was a limey edge line break. You thought Munster would have fixed it at halftime. Instead, Munster went up the second half and the same play does them again to start the second half. Except this time, the land day is worried about McElroy coming out and is looking out and Hume gets him on the inside. Like, that is beautiful chess. You know, it's beautiful to watch. And when, when us took out the line breaks, they just polished them. They just scored. Boom. Off it. Like, it's it's hugely damaging psychologically for a team. It's just, you know, if you're a forward, you're standing at a line-out. And next time the whistleblower's just standing behind the posts. Nothing happened in between. If you could do it in a vote. Like, that's fantastic rugby. And Ulster got that so right. They had all their ducks in a row. They ran the great lines. They timed it well. Made great offloads. And they tore us repair or monster repair from that. And then the second half, Balakon, another major line break that didn't really come to anything. But again, it was the same principle. And that in itself unhinged monster bit on their defense. So they were very worried. And they look very vulnerable, monster, then out in the outside channels a lot of the game. So that was a kind of, that to me was one of the pillars of Ulster's performance, is the ability to really stress monster when they had the ball. And monster were really stressed on defense. So, long story short, is can Ulster do that next week? You know, can they do that against the Stormers? Um, and they'll have to be very active. But I think if Ulster played to par, play the Ulster kind of at the top of their game stuff, yeah, I think they can do it. Um, but if they go to... if And if they lose doing that, you'll say, you know what? Mm-hmm. You know, fair play. Yeah. But if they go down there and they have a sloppy performance like they had in the Aviva Stadium against Connacht, or a sloppy performance they had against Munster and Raven Hill, then you've got to say, well, what's going on here? Why can't they not deliver week on week on week? And that's the, to me, it's the big question. Can they do this week on week? No, we're in, we're in the, you know, winner go home part of the season, you know? So they've, they've got to do it. And Fiona, it's like, I suppose one thing as daunting as the, you know, the trip to South Africa is, and, you know, we've seen from pretty much every team this season how difficult a place it is to win. But at the very least, Ulster can look back at that game in March and say, hang on a second here, you know, we 
we actually should have won that game. We had a we had a try that was incorrectly disallowed. Had it been given, we have won down. We we would have won down here. So in their heads, they can kind of look at themselves and say, "We know how to win down here. We know what's required to to deal with the heat and to to deal with the you know the the threats the stormers have." So in theory, I know it's very easy to say in theory, but in theory, they shouldn't have any fear about going down to the plate. No, they should be exceptionally confident. They know exactly what the, the Stormers are about. They've played them. They've technically won against them. Obviously, didn't get the points, but, uh, you know, they have. They've had the armour, and they and that was a really good game for Ulster. I thought they played exceptionally. I thought they were very, very physical. Um, they controlled it well. The thing about the Stormers is they're liable to do anything. Do you know, they're... they're they could attack from five meters out, you know, they might exit the ball. So they do have that kind of in their armor where anything can happen. A drop of the ball, their, their, their back three, especially can one-handed pick up and could be gone the length of the pitch. But I think Ulster, you know, we talked about them a few weeks ago saying, you know, they're so inconsistent. Um, they now have a chance to try and fix that off the back of the European games. They've had a, a good run out against Munster and exactly like Eddie said, tactical stuff all came together. They, they attacked the right positions but I thought um you know I talked about McCluskey and you before I thought they were really really good Cooney had a good game there's players playing with confidence Balakoon is another guy we talked about Larmer the pressure's coming on as well on him because we see him he's lifting his game as well and Ulster a team that need to get out and just go off the back of that win and bring it and they have the physicality they have the players they have the exciting backline to do it so I do think that they will be going in confident into this game Eddie, one player that I'd like to mention, given the performance last week as well, James Hume. You kind of, you obviously hinted at some of the stuff he was doing when you were talking about how Ulster split Munster open between Dale Ande and and Chris Farrell. But Hume is a player who, over the course of this season, just seems to be getting better and better and better. And I think his performance at the weekend at Kingspan Stadium was probably the peak of it. Got a try, set up two more, and created the opportunity, I suppose, for for one of the other tries to be scored. Munster just couldn't deal with him uh, throughout pretty yeah. much our game. Yeah, well, I think, look, credit to him. He's really playing well. Uh, he's getting more and more confident about his game. He's really pushing. I mean, he has to be nailed into the towards New Zealand. Um, he's really pushing. The, uh, is he for pushing a for a start? Is he pushing for a start? Because I, I think at this stage, it's guaranteed he's going to be on the plane. So is, yeah, is, he doing, is he doing enough to, to get... Well, maybe... he's pushing for a start, but will he get the start's another thing. You know I mean? And I... I know it's right to, for me to be picking the test side, but I think if you're going to drop, if you're going to drop Gary Ringrose uh, for a test against New Zealand, you'd run a pretty good reason for it. So mm-hmm. now maybe depends on the tour as well. You might get it, one of the tests. It's three tests, yeah. but like you know, yeah, it's easy to pick a guy. It's the funny your draft is the problem, you know. So that's why I've found as a coach, you have to tell the guy you're dropping why you're dropping him. So if you were talking to Gary Ringrose, now what to say why you're dropping him? So that's the obvious. That's the hard question, you know. So. But the point is, he's, he's building pressure. He's putting the pressure on the guys in front of him. Now, here's a point you have to make, and that's not taken away from Hume. This is, Hume is getting the, these opportunities based on the precision of their back play. And whom I, I'm a huge fan of, you know, is, is McCluskey. Like, every time McCluskey plays for Ulster, Ulster play well. It's amazing. McCluskey's missing. Things don't go that well for Ulster. Why? McCluskey, as well, has good hands for, for, for an inside centre. A lot of inside centres don't have particularly good hands. They're more used as truckers. McCluskey is, I think, six foot three. He's massive. He's got good hands and he offloads the ball a lot. So his threat in that channel 
is hugely problematic. As we saw for Monster, they were terrorized by him. And because of that threat on the inside, Hume gets that space then to do his stuff. So I think I think with center, when 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 a center plays well, you've got to look at his partner. Mm. And it's the same when when the great partnership between Darcy or Driscoll. When Brian was doing all the damage, you know, in outside channels for Ireland and for Leinster, Gordon was doing a lot of the, the, the work on the inside to create those opportunities. So I think when you talk about Hume, it's, it's hard not to talk about McCluskey and to talk about their partnership. It's a very, very good partnership. And the more they play together, the more this symbiotic relationship will develop and they'll understand each other better. But I think, yeah, Hume is playing off the charts at the moment. He's getting better and better and better. But I think McCluskey's having a big impact at him. I think McCluskey's playing really well also. Mm. So I'm a huge fan of McCluskey's. So for would me... You, would, you, would, you, uh, would you have McCluskey in the squad to go to New Zealand? Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm. Yeah, I think so. No, no, no question about it. I mean, like, I mean, Laurie is a big loss because of his facial injury. I mean, and, and not that Stuart Moore did a really good job as well. But Ulster could have you know, five or six of their backline on that tour, mm. easy. Mm-hmm. You know, because they're just in their in huge form at the moment. Now, of course, like if they had a bad day next weekend, it works <laughs> against them. But it's got to be picked by that stage. But I mean, you know, they are right up there. Um, so if you're looking through the provinces, yeah, Ulster have a big a big say in, in, in the backs at the moment because of their form, because of the way they're playing. But I think, yeah, Hume is definitely standing out. But I, I think... Klusk gets take credit for that as well. I'm a huge fan of his. And, and um, I think when I look at centres, I look at partnership because mm. it's kind of a yin and a yang. One guy is working off the other. Uh, and, you know, the case, for, as I said, is the Darcy O'Driscoll access for Ireland and Leinster for years. You know, Darcy was really crucial to, to, to Brian getting all that space and opportunity. And Brian has said it himself. So I think, yeah, Hume is very happy to play off of McCluskey. No, there's no reason he could do that with a different inside centre for Ireland. Do you know what I'm saying? But... You know, that's a really good partnership. I think that's that's really been important to Ulster because that's how fellas like Balakoon gets freed in into that space. Like if those inside lines are poor, Balakoon gets reeled in. But if those inside lines are good, Balakoon gets that half yard. And we saw for the third line break that Chris Farrell actually made a good read. Hume could have gone on his inside and Balakoon went to his outside. He kind of covered Hume, although he didn't have to play cover, but he made a read and he went out. But the problem was he was a half step too late. And someone like Balakoon would just skin you. Like another winger, you might get him. But Balakoon has so much pace that Farrell, even though he made a good read, still got beaten. You know, so you're talking about guys who, who are really playing well at the moment. That's what Ulster's strength is, isn't it? Is in their midfield. And if they can deliver that sort of performance, uh, you know, they're going to play their way into the Irish team, you know, on that as well. And Fiona, to, to shift the conversation on to, to the other side of that game uh, between Ulster and Munster and... Mm-hmm how disappointing Munster were last week and against Leinster the two weeks previous as well. That, that was a big sigh you just let out. I'll, I'll just add that as well, just as I mentioned it. That was a pretty big sigh in, I don't know, in 60 seconds or less. Can you can you do your best to sum up the the legacy Johan van Graan is going to leave and on what needs to happen next? Because it it's going to be a long answer, I think, is it? Yeah, I'll, I'll make it short and sweet. Uh, I don't think there is a legacy left. That's the issue. There's, um, you know, it's it's been it's been pretty disappointing. Um, every year, obviously, you as a Munster fan, you hope to win some sort of silver year or silverware. It hasn't happened. It's been a long time, but you know, it's the style of play that 
kind of people wanted to see improve. It did in areas, um, you know, and then to, to go out on those two last two games after that to lose game up in Dublin, everyone was every Munster fan, every Munster supporter was on a huge positive, a huge high. You saw great heart, and that's what the both last two games lacked in particular. Ulster were clinical, but Munster were were just not at the races at all. And to finish and be knocked out of cup um at that level for such a squad that has so much talent, it's been disappointing. It's there's no legacy left but it's now time for change and I think the the coaching staff going in have a have an opportunity to do that I think we are a bit short in a couple of areas especially front row I'm, I'm thinking hooker and tight head um but look there there's young guys coming through so it's about trying to get these guys up to the pace as quickly as possible and start seeing a nice style of rugby and an exciting style of rugby and that's what the the fans want I think Eddie are we focusing too much on Van Gran and Stephen Larkham and are we ignoring maybe the I suppose the the, the lack of effort a team that was put in mm. in those last couple of games the lack of belief the players seem to have in themselves and even just organisational things above the coaches you know from like are, are we just looking are we a bit too focused on who's the man in the tracksuit with the whistle on a on a Tuesday afternoon well you will be because he's responsible for what happens on the field so you know but I'm kind of looking at Munster in a broader sense. Like, I think Van Graan, um, look, Van Graan seems to be a really good guy. He's a yeah. decent bloke. No yeah. one disputes that. But his legacy, as Fiona said, is it's not any different than the legacy of the previous four coaches. If you think about it. Like, it's 2011 since Munster won a mm. uh, piece of silver. If you sit back in 2011, it's going to be 12 years at best for Munster win silverware. You'll be laughed out of the room. That's a fact. So, what Van Graan has done, in fairness, he has transitioned the team. If you look at the team he inherited, the team he ended up with, he did bring through some guys. You know, guys came through, um, a good flock of them from the academy, which was underperforming. So he has transitioned the squad. There are a couple of worrying areas in the front row, for sure, uh, in terms of experience. But that aside, um, I think it's a bigger problem for Monsters. Monster, and this is my theory, in the noughties when they were king of the hill, they had a phenomenal pack of forwards with all the guys you had, you know, all household names, Hayes, yeah. Horn, Fannery. Basically, they, they had your Irish pack, essentially. It was the Irish pack, yeah. for, for sure. And they won two Heineken Cups in that, and they were top of the three. Now, don't forget that they had, you know, kind of a trail of tears to win those Heineken Cups. They'd lost a lot of games. And it wasn't until they got guys like Trevor Halstead in, Sean Payne, Dougie Howlett, Road to Pokey, Lenny Matthew, that gave them that edge. In the backs, because they all had great halfbacks. They had Stringer, who was the best passer in the world, Raj, world-class by half. But what you want you to do is just to get to the finals and the semifinals, and then a team that could match from front with a better backline. But once they got a balance, but and that was great. But what happened then is they stayed in that mode of we have a great pack of forwards. And you know, over the last 10 years, they haven't had a world-class pack of forwards. They've had good forwards and, and they've had good teams, but they're they're not in a position to beat teams through forward-oriented play. Now, we saw it this year even. I said this a couple times at the start of the season. Munster are very hard to stop if they get into your 22. We saw it last weekend. They got three tries in up, in up in Belfast, despite the fact they didn't play well. But they got into the Ulster 22 three or four times. They got three or four three tries. But if you keep them out of your 22, Munster are pretty gourmets. They're just going over and back. And they depend on penalties a lot of the time. You know, their ball retention is good. So they haven't... They haven't changed their game. Like they're playing to the basis that our pack will dominate and we will beat you out eventually. 
And that's been their modus operandi now for 10 years. And they're having the same result every year. They're getting so far. And a dominant pack would get you a pretty good finish in the URC or the Magnus League or whatever you want to call it, whatever ideation we have at the moment. You can get there because Irish, an Irish pack of monster forwards are going to perform well. But when you get to the business end of the season or you go into Europe and you meet other packs who are going to match you, you know, then it gets very difficult to get out of those situations. And I think Munster are stuck in that mode. They, they have to evolve their game. And it does, I, I don't, I think they actually have some very good backs, but they play with this. I mean, Munster were famous and it changed a bit at the end of the season, but they were famous for driving mall, pick and drive and box kicking. That was their most brandy for a number of years. That is not going to work anymore. And they have to wake up to that realisation. So now falls on Graham Rowntree as the new head coach to make this transition. And it has to happen pretty quickly because it's not like he's a new coach coming in. The honeymoon will be brief because he's had his head under the hood now for a few years. He should know what's required. And Munster supporters will be not too patient if he doesn't start bringing up solutions pretty quickly. I feel that, like, I, I know I... I kind of mentioned it yesterday evening to you. I was writing about it yesterday. I was looking at the the breakdown of the the front row they have now this this coming season and a tight head like it it's it has to be a concern the the imbalance of experience is probably the best way of putting it that they have going forward next season where you've Stephen Archer who has you know bags and bags of experience mm. almost two hundred and fifty games for for Munster he's pretty much locked in as the first choice but below that. The other three tight heads they have in that senior group, Kenya Knox, Roman Salanoa, and James French, between them in their entire careers for, for Munster and Salanoa for Leinster as well, they've played 38 games. They have seven starts in professional yeah. rugby between the three of them. That's that's half as many starts as Stephen Archer had last season. And obviously part of that is down to the fact that in the last six months, we knew Johan Van Graan was leaving. Johan Van Graan knew he was leaving. So... Obviously, he wasn't going to be too concerned about, you know, yeah. getting those guys experience for next season because he was, you know, he wanted to have John Ryan out in the pitch as much, as much as possible. And John Ryan played 13 of the, he played all of the last 13 games, I should say, sorry. Where, mm-hmm. Whereas if you were to look over us at Connacht, whereas they found out Alton Delan, pretty much one mm-hmm. of their key players was leaving in December. He played five more games for the rest of the season. Yeah. You know, that's the, it's, it's the short termism that's, that, that's a little bit worrying. Yeah, and you know what, Neil, it was a really good article. I read it there today. I, I didn't even realise that it was only 38 starts um, between the... 38 games. Or 38 starts. games, sorry. No, seven <laughs> starts. Sorry. Between the, the guys, and the, the which is Saliana Knox and French. Um, I... I I presumed that in my own head that, you know, I'd seen a lot more of Keenan Knox in particular. I, I thought I'd seen him out in the pitch a lot more, but it was that it was that kind of point about John Ryan. You know, you want to win games, obviously, tight head. They're on the big bucks for a reason. They're, you know, the anchor, the scrum um, really kind of has evolved over the years. The, the, the position of tight head, you know, it's big ball cards. We see a lot more out of them there. A lot more is needed out of them. And I think it's, it's an area that's been kind of flagged in Munster, even with the likes 
likes of Archer and John Ryan, it probably we haven't probably seen as much um around the around the loose as other tight ends that we'd like to see. Um and with Ryan going now and you know, Graham Roundtree is the forwards coach. You would you would be wondering why he like didn't go to Van Grand maybe and say, look, I need to get these guys more game time. Now there could have been issues at scrum time as well and and they needed to to, to tighten things up around that area. And I understand that you're living, you're playing in the here and now, but essentially you're 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 going into a new season with with Stephen Archer. I mean, if, if Stephen Archer gets injured in 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 preseason, you're looking at the guys that have absolutely no experience kind of anchoring that scrum. And it's it's kind of it's crazy. And I know you spoke about Tamag Allen as well. And he was someone I you know who's been playing really well for Wasps. And I know it's only a one-year deal, but you'd wonder why Munster didn't go out and and get that kind of um get that guy in and maybe it's a money situation but when you're looking at tight edge you are not and we've seen it with 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 Leinster in particular you know we we talked about tight eds you know uh Ty Furland is up there with the best in the world but it, this year we saw kind of scrummaging maybe mightn't have been up there and if you if you lose your scrum or if you're not kind of dynamic around the pitches tight edge you're you're absolutely nothing it is is it is essential in the game now that you, you have confident tight heads that can that can tighten that up and it's, it's an area of concern I think definitely going into next season Eddie we're almost out of time I do want to ask you about Roman Salanoa though because I know like it was yourself and, and Wes Liddy who had a, a major hand in in getting him over to this country Wes our our colleague here in, in RT as well and on the on the yeah. podcast but um obviously he had some you know had some injuries this year as well but Munster gave him a three-year contract in January so yeah. they obviously massively see the potential in him can you tell us a little bit about what you would have seen in him when he was, what, 17, 18 years old? Yeah, well, he, he really no rugby experience. I think when he arrived uh, over, um, he was into the Leinster Academy. He basically hadn't ever played rugby. You know, he played a couple of under-16 games or something like that. So he had no rugby background. So the big thing for him was that he had to learn how to scrummage. But look, like a lot of American players, they're very quick to learn. So he, he made good progress in Leinster. And then Munster signed him in. And he's done really well there. The Paddy's bugbear has been he's picked up some injuries. He's very explosive, um, very quick for 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 uh, for a big guy. Um, he's I think he's probably in the gym. He's the most powerful player in Munster across a lot of the stats, you know. But he's been unfortunate with injuries. But he has worked very well. And I've spoken to Roundtree and Graham rates him very highly. And obviously he's a project player for Graham as well as a young prop. So that's right in Graham's wheelhouse. But he's someone I think they're banking on to come through. They've, they've given him a three-year contract. Um, I do think that they probably should have get. You know, Roman was injured, so it was harder. But certainly, Killen Knox should have got more game time at the end of the season. If if this was the plan, you know that with with, with John Ryan leaving, that this was going to be the setup for next season. Um, they should have probably got these guys on the field more, and they haven't. So now they are facing what they're facing. But I do think. That they're banking around these guys like Knox and Salanoa, certainly holding up their end of the bargain. But it'll be um, it'll be a, it'll be a Steve Bernard curve from you know even even without any injuries in that department, they're going to have to rotate these guys in and out. You can't you know you can't control a season uh, without rotating those those tight those tight ends. But I think Salanoa is one for the future if he stays healthy. Uh, he's a very explosive player, and explosive players tend to pick up niggles sometimes. But I know he's working on that as well. But I think he's someone that yeah could make an impact if he stays healthy. No question about it. But he needs to get on the field and do that. So in short, in short, we're going to know. We don't know much about them yet, but in twelve months' time, we're going to know a hell of a lot about. A lot them. wiser, yeah. We'll be a lot wiser yeah. about, about 
especially about uh, Salano. We've seen a little bit of Knox. We see what he can do, but I think we'll be a lot wiser about Salano and Knox at the end of the season. Um, but it, it's it's a big year for Munster in that department. If this if this clicks, if these two props, your young props, click, they could be the future titles for Munster. Like they could solve a massive problem, and I think that's what Munster are thinking. This is all part of their planning. It it wasn't going to change whether they won last week in in, in Head or not. You know that's this is long term planning. Yeah, certainly will be long-term planning and uh, we're going to know a lot more this time next season about Graham Roundtree's Munster team and, and where they're going. Eddie, Fiona, thanks a million for joining us this week on the podcast. Uh, a reminder, the two URC semi-finals this weekend, 7.35 Friday night, Leinster against the Bulls at the RDS. And then on Saturday afternoon, uh, it is later, it is Ulster away to the Stormers in Cape Town in, uh, in South Africa. Kickoff 2 o'clock. Irish time and that game is going to be live on RT2 and the RT player we'll see you again soon folks thanks Emil the RTE rugby podcast sponsored by Canterbury see the new Irish men and women's rugby jerseys at canterbury.com